podcast. I'm trying not to do my radio presenter's voice today, and I think I'm failing. But anyway, welcome back to the podcast. And this is episode number 42 now. And I hope you're doing well today. This podcast is all about being an extraordinary coach. We're going to be talking with lots of interesting people and I've got I've been having some amazing conversations this week about coaching and everything that fits into this broad field. So today we're going to be talking about purpose. It's kind of a hot topic. And we're going to be talking about what I call deep purpose. This is a session from the coaching summit that we had earlier this year with Jonathan Gustin. So we're going to be talking about the kind of purpose where you know, once you've gotten the career and the house and the money and all those things that you wanted, and then it's like, oh my God, there's still something missing. What's going on? And we're going to be talking about the kind of purpose today that when we start to live it, that feeling that something is missing goes away. We feel like we're doing what we were put on this earth to be doing. So, as I mentioned, I'll be talking with Jonathan Gustin. He's a cool guy. I've been learning a lot from him this year. And he's a purpose guide, a psychotherapist, a meditation teacher. He is the founder and lead teacher at the Purpose Guide Institute. And he's doing cool things like teaching purpose discovery at the San Quentin Prison in California. So if you like this podcast, please share it. Uh, please subscribe if you're just tuning in from some random place. And uh, what else? Yeah, um, leave a review. Yeah. So let's dive in. Hope you enjoy it. Jonathan, so great to see you. How are you doing right now? I'm doing great. Yeah, had a good morning. Got a nice meditation in. So I'm I'm ready to dig into this topic with you. Well, I am too. I mean, it's um, it's one of the topics that I, I it's just lighting me up at the moment. And we're going to explore this topic of purpose today. And uh, I know you've got a lot to say about that. So um, um, let's begin at the beginning and, and just start with the, you know, a simple, but I think a big question, which is like, what is purpose to you? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's the basic question, isn't it? Um, the, the kind of the simple way into it is um, that there's a triple purpose of life to wake up, grow up and show up to wake up to classical enlightenment, to grow up into what I call an emotional adult um, and to show up with our gift, our service, our vocation um, as an offering uh, to life. So that's sort of the short kind of pithy way of saying it, wake up, grow up, show up. And I have sort of, you know, baskets of interests and baskets of sort of my professional identity. And what I've noticed as a, as a psychotherapist, a meditation teacher, and as a purpose guide, that um, the purpose piece doesn't really get uh, as much play. So in psychotherapy, um, which has, you know, come, become mainstream, you know, the purpose there, you could say, is to bring what is unconscious and bring it into consciousness, take what's in the shadow and bring it into light so that we become an emotional adult capable of giving and receiving love without unnecessary impediment, capable of um, unbounded joy, you know, just joy that's like off the leash, uh, untethered joy. Um, and, and the ability to actually be equanimous in the face of all of life's, you know, vicissitudes. Um, so that's one purpose, right? Just to be a grown-up. And I'm still working on it, right? So I've been married for 21 years. And, you know, the, the day my wife puts a gold medal around my neck, I'll, I'll know I've, I've made it. Uh, so it's an ongoing process of transformation. Um, so that's one purpose, just to be a grown-up in the world. Um, and then there are the two overtly spiritual dimensions. And those are the ones that I'm especially interested in. Um, and so there's the classical uh, or traditional enlightenment, this transcendence, this uh, softening or dissolving of the separate self sense. And this is often associated with like the enlightenment of the Buddha or sages from any really time or, or culture. And what is experience there, if you're to believe the perennial philosophy, 
is um, unitive intimacy, oneness, non-duality. And that's a whole, whole topic in itself. Um, but there's another piece. There's another piece. And, and, and meditation, of course, has also become you know, uh, a, a mainstream, which is wonderful. But purpose isn't really talked about so much uh, in that lineage. Uh, I'm an old Zen guy, and, and I love Zen, and I love psychotherapy. But purpose doesn't really get a ton of play. Some, but not much. So there's this other dimension. Instead of pure spirit or pure transcendence or the mystery that animates and permeates everything, and instead of just a mature self, there's this in-between world of soul, I won't define soul uh, unless you press me because it's, you can't really say what it is, but that doesn't stop me from trying. But basically there's this whole dimension of a human being and we can experience it. It's a spiritual dimension where we descend, we burrow into our depths and we discover what is uniquely ours at the level of soul, at the level of what is our unique transformational proposition. What is the thing that we were meant to do? And it's different than the uniqueness of the uh, personality. At the level of personality, I'm liberal as opposed to conservative. I like skiing and jazz as opposed to snowboarding and country and Western music, right? But at the level of soul, there is something that is uniquely mine. Uh, it's sometimes called the mythopoetic image. It's like, what is the the image at the center of your being, as the poet David White put it. What is the image at the center of your being that you are meant to be faithful to? And when you know what that image is, you can allow it to occupy your life. And I believe that's what we see in some of our golden shadow projections when we see someone like, you know, um, Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi. We see people who are animated by a mythic uh, story or narrative or image. And then they, they do great work. You can feel the power in that. Beautiful. Um, uh, certainly that's been true for me, you know, of doing therapeutic work and then doing tons of spiritual work and bearing fruits from that and yet still feeling like, you know, there's just something that's, that's it's not touching a certain spot. There's something missing, you know, and I think, um, as I'm starting to learn more about soul, like um, it, it's, it's that thing, you know, that was missing that, that reason that I'm here. So um, I, I imagine you would agree with this, but it, like, I feel like there's a deficiency of soul in the world right now. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. It's a, the, in my opinion, uh, we live in a soul impoverished world. So because um, uh, psychotherapy has become more and more online, the idea of becoming kind of an integrated, full-functioning ego or self or personality is, is, is a desirable thing, right? We want to be mature and be able to give and receive love and, and so forth. And even the idea of transcendence, right? Getting off the wheel, getting, feeling the liberation of absolute non-separation from all of life. But neither of those two uh, really get to the question, why am I here? And then most importantly, what do I do? Right? The poet Mary Oliver put it like this, you know, what do I do with this one wild, precious life? Right? So I, I want to fill up the fun bucket. I want to have fun every day because I, I like to be happy. Um, but there's a, there's a deeper current. Right. So, you know, I exist on the surface. I exist in the, the, the middle of the pool. But at the deep end of my existence, of my wholeness, where where am I meant to be? What am I meant to do? Where do I swim? What are the fish that I swim with? What do we eat? What do we do? How do we contribute to the whole ecosphere, uh, you know, in the depths of the ocean? Um, and I don't think it's something the mind can actually produce. I don't think it's something the mind can easily deduce. In fact, we want to turn to different capacities, um, uh, an organ of perception, as Corban puts it, of imagination. And that, that gets really exciting to actually have a sense of, oh, I have a, uh, the perfume of what I am meant to do and be in this 
world, the place I'm meant to stand in myself and in the culture, I have a, a sense of it. I have a, um, I'm able to, well, to just to stand in it. I, I think the word place is really important. Do we know, we, do we know where we belong and what our relationship is um, in, in the world? Um. I'd love to ask you about, um, you, you mentioned like it's not something we um, necessarily work out with our minds, you know, and um, there's a different way of perceiving it, of, of like this, yeah, perception that we can start to maybe attune to or uncover purpose. So, um, and, you know, I think a lot of people listening are coaches and people working with, with um, different people in the world who are interested in how do I how do I become purposeful, lead a purposeful life, you know, especially leaders and how, how does that influence my leadership? So perhaps you could, I think, um, I know you've heard, I've heard you talk about the different types of purpose that we can, maybe it's a good time to bring those in and we can then explore, yeah, what is this mode of perception or ways that we can uncover what our purpose is? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I, uh, I think there's sort of three broad baskets um, of, of purpose. We could call one sort of the, the default purpose, and this is often inherited. And it's, it's not necessarily unwholesome or unworthy, but it's, it's given to us, we absorb it, um, and if we're not careful, we won't question it. We won't see if it's authentically ours, right? So, you know, I was raised in a, a liberal household. I became sort of a liberal person. And, but then the question is, is that indigenous to me or am I just taking on what, you know, was given? Um, and so I think it's the same thing with our purpose. So, you know, one, one, one purpose in life is simply to be, what, successful, um, uh, beloved, um, happy, uh, rich, uh, famous, uh, and so forth. Um, so if you just look at the thing with money, you know, most of us, including myself, would prefer to have more than less. I certainly don't wish to be impoverished. And we can take that continually. You can become a billionaire and still desire to go to the next stage of 10 billion. Um, and uh, as I said, an inherited purpose can be wholesome and beautiful, and it can end up being what ours really is. So I think of Martin Luther King Jr., whose father, you know, Martin Luther King Sr., was also a minister and an activist. Um, so it's not necessarily true that it's, it's uh, um, not indigenous or unwholesome. But more often than not, it can, if, we, if, we don't, um, if we don't lean into it and question it, then it really is a default purpose. We're operating on something that's given to us without really questioning it and seeing if it's true for us. So an, uh, an upgrade from that is created purpose. So purpose 2.0. Um, a creative purpose is we come to realize that um, the, the, the canvas for creating meaning in our lives is just incredibly broad. It's really one of the like astounding things. In fact, many of us will shrink back from it because it's scary when you realize you don't actually have to be what your parents told you know, uh, you're liberal, Christian, uh, wanting to be successful and a doctor, I don't know, you know, um, and have 2.4 kids. When you realize that that's, that's fine as far as it goes, but that you have never really asked yourself what you want, it uh, can be existentially intimidating. You, you really, the, the canvas is gigantic. And you can create a purpose. You can ask yourself sort of in the head, if you will, you know, what is, what is a life that's worth living? Uh, philosophers really dig into this quite a bit. And through that, you can construct or create meaning in your life. And this is beautiful. You, 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 your, your creativity uh, comes online. Some of your passion comes online. Uh, some of your uniqueness comes online. Um, so this is, uh, this is nice. You're, you're going from, you know, uh, socially authored to self-authored, which is a beautiful thing. But that's still not soul-authored. 
Still not soul authored. The third possibility, what I'd call purpose 3.0, is discovering something that is you were born to. And this is where I get just overtly spiritual. So, you know, be forewarned. <laughs> um, the cosmology that I resonate with is a cosmology of soul. And by that, I mean that we are born to occupy a particular niche or niche, if you say it that way, in the ecology of life. And uh, Bill Pluckin puts this really, really well. And, you know, it's not really a choice about what we become. Yeah. So like I didn't, um, when it came to my sexual orientation, I didn't look at the different choices. I could be gay. I could be straight. I could be bi. I mean, I, I knew those were some of the broad choices, but what happened is I discovered my orientation. I was interested in girls. And, and so that's a discovery. It wasn't a like, um, here's three things on the menu and I will choose from it. And so, you know, a sunflower doesn't get to choose whether it's a deer and a deer doesn't get to choose whether it's a maple tree. We, we, there's a certain sense of destiny and unfolding. And there's this beautiful word. It's an old Greek word from Aristotle and teleki. And um, uh, James Hillman uses this in his acorn to, uh, to oak metaphor. And the, the destiny of an acorn is not to become a maple. It's to become an oak, right? And so the destiny of Jonathan is to become something very unique, never seen before. And as much as my golden shadow projections of Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr., I'll just never be them. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. There's a picture of Ramana Maharshi, an Indian sage who I admire very much. And I, I just will never, I'm not going to be a Maha sage. It's just, it's, it's just probably not going to happen. And so then the question is, well, what, wa what wants to be grown? What wants to be expressed and bloomed here in this one? And the same thing with you. Like if Joel was left unfettered for a thousand years to just develop and, and blossom completely as himself, God, that excites me. I, I, I just would love to see what he grows into. And even if you only live, you know, 80 or 90 years. And so this is a soul discovery. Um, it's not so much about choice. We discover that image or that metaphor um, of what we are meant to be, and we are faithful to it. We allow ourselves to grow into um, that which we were meant to be. It's, it, it's an evolutionary impulse, right? We see it in the acorn uh, growing into the oak, same thing with a baby deer, same thing with a particular human, right? And, and Beethoven wasn't going to become Gandhi, and Gandhi wasn't going to be Beethoven. They have their unique genius, there's a beautiful book, The Genius Myth by Michael Mead. And not genius like, you know, 200 IQ, which is great if, you, if you're born with one. I mean, like the, the, the genius that each person has, their sort of unique powers, soul core powers. Um, so those are three baskets of purpose. The default or inherited purpose, um, the created purpose, and sometimes people will swing, especially, you know, teenagers and young people, but even later will swing from the inherited purpose and will sort of rebel against it and try out its opposite, which is not a bad thing to do. But then you're still actually reacting to the socially created purpose to some degree. Yeah. So you're like, if it's excessive about money, now suddenly you're like, I don't care. You know, I'm just going to be a homeless vagabond, which if it's authentic to you, great. But if it's not, then you've just reacted. But this third choice is uh, a, a deep dive into soul um, through soul encounter, through encountering um, images of your entelechy, your fullness, and then living into them, integrating them and embodying them um, in life. A beautiful answer. I mean, it brings up so many questions for me. Um, 
I imagine that um, a lot of people get to this um, discerned purpose, you know, created purpose, self-authored purpose, and, and that's enough for them. Um, but there are perhaps some, and I put myself in this bracket that, that still, still felt, you know, that's just, that's not it. You know, it's not the end game. There's, there's still something missing. You know? And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, so it's, it's not better or worse, right. To, to have one uh, rather than the other. There is a, there is a hierarchy, a growth hierarchy as, as Ken Wilber would say, um, but that doesn't make, you know, I have a, I have a nine-year-old, I'm 51, and I'm not better because I'm more developed or anything like that. Um, so if, if inherited purpose is really bringing someone alive and they feel like they're doing good in the world, fine. I, I'm not a, a missionary or an evangelist for uh, the soul's purpose. Um, and then if your created purpose is feeling like really meaningful to you, it's filling you up, then great. But uh, for some of us, we're like, I want the, the absolute, like the deepest wine, the aged wine, the deep end of the pool. We don't want to just swim, sit on the, what's the little stairs or, or just have our feet touching the, uh, the bottom of the pool. We want to be deep sea divers. We want to know how far uh, do my depths go? Because not only like what I like to get to know you, you just seem like a very interesting and deep person. I would like to get to know my wife, my son, and I'd like to get to know myself. And there's no end. I mean, my son's, you know, just 10 years or nine, nine, almost 10 years now. And, you know, I'm just sort of like, wow, there's so much to him. I've been married for 21 years and she, you know, I, I mean, I'm just beginning to get to know her. There's so much. She's mostly unknown to me, even though, you know, I know her, relatively speaking, very well. And the same with myself. Um, a human being is just mostly unused potential, is mostly unknown territory. We're living, I think, perhaps in a, like a little postage stamp swath of the territory of our being. And I think it's probably because we're, uh, you know, this is speculation, but we're a relatively young species, you know, modern, modern Homo sapiens, about 40,000 years, Homo sapiens, about 200,000. Well, that that's actually really fresh, <laughs> you know, and so it's understandable that um, we haven't uh, really learned yet to make use of everything that we have. You know, uh, Albert Einstein was... Um, made this speculation. I don't know how he got it. He said, I, 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 I suspect I've used only 5% of my brain. Hmm. Well, if he only used 5% of his brain, I'm currently using less than 1% of my brain, which makes me wonder, you know, just at the level of uh, hardware, you know, what's, what's possible to use, you know, in this synaptic web. And then at a spiritual level, you know, how much of me is, untapped um there's a, a quote i like i can't remember who said it um for something to be real here it has to also be real elsewhere which is to say for something to exist it, uh, more of its reality has to be somewhere else and uh, i used this metaphor uh, the other day in a class um i was walking um just taking a hike. And so I was, I was kind of sort of like a half meditation, half just hike. And I imagined that the, this body was like a probe, like being, you know, a, a, an ocean probe, right? But uh, on the surface is a ship and the ship uh, has much more of the probe in it. It's got a whole room with scientists and controllers and audio technicians and all of that. So the probe may be just like the size of a, uh, you know, uh, like a size of a human, let's say, small, submersible. But most of the probe and its sort of deep intelligence is actually floating on the ship. And so I imagined that that's what was happening here and that what was walking uh, through the forest was a, a probe, uh, a three-dimensional probe being sent from a four-dimensional space, imaginal realm, if you will. 
I like to call it the imagine a matrix. Um, and I'll be damned. I, I felt <laughs> just this sort of expansion. I felt actually a limiting of choice, but it felt great. I just was like, I, I let, let someone, let something of greater intelligence um, take control of me. Now, I wouldn't want something of, of less intelligence or malevolent, but what I kind of got was that um, if I kind of ego got out of the way, more of this character, more of its unique, really, uh, its authenticity, its indigenosity could come to the foreground. Um, and so, I felt connected to that for, fourth dimension. Right. I mean, you brought in a big idea here. So I want to make sure, you know, like this idea of um, this imagine matrix, you know, some people might be like, okay, what's this? You know, so I want to make sure we don't skip over that. Um, and, and, and yet what I want to add is like, I, I just see more and more people around me who are, um, you know, like they're, they're just getting to the limits of the, the kind of um, the, the, the ego that's in control and, you know, no bad thing to that, but, nope. but they just feel like, you know, ah, this, this is just wanting to control and manage my life. And, and, and I see so many people interested in this idea of surrender and, and what if I just like let go, um, you know, Michael Singer's work, you know, it's hugely popular on the world. What if I just let go and, and let something come through me and move me? And I think that's, um, you know, I, I, as I am playing with that and rather badly at times, it, you know, it's lo and behold, you know, it does feel like something comes through and it's incredibly meaningful and fulfilling and creative and spontaneous and alive and all those kinds of words. So um, I wanted to add that and then come back to, you know, this idea of like, what's this imagine a matrix and the imaginal, because I think it ties in with a question that we need to go into more, which is like, okay, uncovered purpose and soul. So how, do, what's that realm like? What's purpose discovery like in the realm of, you know, uh, soul? Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I really liked what you said there. Gosh, where to where to where to come into that? I I agree with you that the you know the ego um, even even one that's functioning fairly well um, isn't necessarily the most creative force in the world. If I just look at my uh, thinking, I um, I notice my thinking tends to be quite repetitive. Um, it, it it tends to be of a somewhat low grade often, you know, I, I, I'm massaging grievances, you know, um, often against, you know, my stepmother and it just kind of cycles over and over. And <laughs> I've been doing this for a while, you know, and, um, uh, so, you know, the ego has its place, right? So, you know, if you lose, use Maslow's hierarchy, that pyramid, it's safety, security. I want to feel like I belong just at a regular sort of social level, um, I want my esteem needs to be met. I want to feel like I, I can feel decent about myself and hopefully that others, you know, at least some people like me and appreciate me. So these are all legit. These are all legit. But they, they're not the deep end of the pool. Uh, and so then we come to the tip of this pyramid, self-actualization. Well, how, how does that happen? How, where, where do we go? to actualize the, this, this depth dimension of ourselves. Well, to me, having a cosmology is important. Um, a cosmology, the one that I'll sort of lean into here, the imagine a matrix, it's not, um, it's not true, right? It's not, it's, uh, it, it, it's like, it's a good poetry. It has a, a perfume of something that you can feel is psychoactive. It brings us alive. Um, but it's not a, it's not a, um, how shall I say it? A, a scientific fact. When I have these mystical experiences, it's difficult to discern. Am I experiencing something that is an actual, uh, tangible reality? Is it happening just inside my psyche, archetypal figures? Is it something in between? So I would describe it like this, that there's a whole realm, a whole world 
that we tend to ignore in modern and postmodern society. And what we tend to give attention to is uh, uh, tangible material reality and the discursive, you know, thinking cognitive mind, which can, you know, test and um, reach out with its instruments and its uh, perception. And this is considered the real. And, you know, it's, that's a, what I love. Science is wonderful. I, I love it. Um, but there's a whole realm, an organ of perception, if you will, of imagination, deep imagination. It's different than fantasy, at least the way I use the word. I can fantasize about winning the lottery and getting a Tesla. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I imagine buying a ticket, winning, and then buying a fast electric car. Okay, that's ego. Nothing wrong with that. I'm sure I enjoy a fast electric car. Imagination is different. Deep imagination is a capacity of soul. It's really synonymous with soul. And we can actually allow ourselves to drop into it. I'll describe soul encounter in a moment, the technologies. We can allow ourselves to drop into it and be taken by it. As you were saying, what was the word? Surrender into this other organ. It's as if we have an invisible third arm here. And because we don't, uh, I pretend I don't see it. You pretend you don't see it. We don't talk about it. And so we keep ourselves, you know, rather limited. So we'll operate mostly ego to ego. Oh, you're a smart person. I mean, I can tell you're a highly intelligent person. Um, hopefully you'll think I am. And we'll, we'll operate like that. We'll go back and forth with our intellects and, and probably have some fun. But what if I see you as um, an extension of the imaginal realm, the matrix itself, that you're just like, what I see here is Joel is like the tip of the iceberg and underneath the water and the deep end of the ocean is this immense Joel. And more and more in my relationship, I interact with you presupposing that that is the case, perhaps even seeing some of it. And you see it in me. And now we're acting not just as the, the little, you know, human avatar. We're acting more and more as the, the player behind the game. So this could be another, another metaphor that what we really are is soul playing a virtual reality video game in the Imagine Matrix. And we have this avatar, right? The Joel avatar, the Jonathan avatar, uh, we get to play around. Around goes maybe 80 years if we take care of the avatar. Um, you can play another round, but you can't reanimate the avatar. But you can maybe take some of the wisdom uh, from a previous existence. And the game, which I would name Acorn, you know, Planet Earth, Acorn to uh, Oak. <laughs> That's the name of the game. And it's, it's better than any of these video games they have now. This is an adventure game where you're meant to wake up, occupy your deep place, inhabit your purpose, give away with abandon your gifts, um, and, and then, and then that, that round of the game ends. And it's a multiplayer game. There's about 7.5 billion people playing it now. And the meta game is we can evolve the species or we can devolve it. And it's anyone's guess which way we're going right now. Um, and so if you imagine that you're like a, uh, a three-dimensional painting uh, coming from a four-dimensional universe, that you're a, a, an avatar, um, a character, uh, but you, you are being played by yourself at that depth dimension from another realm. So that's the imagine a matrix, a whole world of spiritual, soulful imagination. Just a little comment on that, because I know you're going to talk about the technologies and stuff, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the training with you, this purpose guide training and loving it. And, and wow, like what you just shared is like showing up in the sessions. It's like there's this sense of both of us being taken in the, in the coaching, in the guiding session. And it's incredible, you know, um, something comes through and 
uh, I'm coaching or I, I say coaching cause that's what I do mostly, but it, you know, I'm, I'm like in this session with them and I'm, I find myself speaking and saying things that I, that I didn't know I was going to say. And what's even more interesting is what it evokes inside of them. You know, like something comes alive inside of them and they're in tears. They're, they're awestruck, uh, shaken. And, 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 you know, it's, it's very palpable and tangible. And um, so what you speak of here, uh, I wanted to kind of bring in something because it's very practical too. It's, this is how it's showing up for me in, in the work. Oh, that's so beautiful that, you know, you're, so, you know, my, and, and correct me any time here because I'm not a, I'm not a coach. I'm a purpose guide, which is a bit different. Um, a coach is wonderful because that, that can bring someone into their created purpose, which is a beautiful thing. Um, but a coach who has some experience, a specialty, if you will, in this soul guiding, one of the main things, one of their main jobs is to get out of the way, right? So there's, there's regular everyday me, which is just an average person doing average things. But when I show up in the role of guide, Jonathan's not really that relevant, frankly. You know, nothing against him, right? And so I'm, I attempt to make myself available to this imaginal realm and allow it to do the work. When I do the work, it's meh, it's so-so. Same thing as a psychotherapist, same thing as a, as a meditation teacher. Um, because of my experience and learning, I can, I can fake it adequately. But the best sessions are when um, I have no idea <laughs> what's going to be said. And I'm used. It feels like a Jonathan puppet, like something deeper and wiser kind of puts its hand in my back and animates me. And I'm sitting here listening, learning as much as, you know, the, the person I'm so-called guiding. And it's an amazing thing because when we're, it, it, it influences, it affects the person we're working with. Like if you have two um, bells you can ring one bell and the other bell will start to vibrate sympathetically. When I hang out with my teacher, um, Ajashanti, um, he's a pretty awake guy, a very awake guy in my estimation. Uh, I hang out with him long enough and something begins to change in me because he's embodying this, what I would call this upper world awakening. And just the presence of someone who is seated in the imaginal, seated in soul, itself is a real gift. So this is why I you know, go to his meditation retreats as often as possible and hang out with him as much as I can. We, wa we want an intelligence to a bigger intelligence than, than, than this can provide. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, um, at first, it could be a little existentially terrifying or not. But for some people, it's like, oh, my God, I have no idea what I'm going to do or say. And then eventually it becomes that's the sweet spot. If you think you know what you're going to say and you have your kind of rehearsed spiel or whatever, then again, it's just eh. But someone will ask a question or something will come up and my head will go, God, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, my head will go, wow, that's above my pay grade, you know, and, and then I'll just rest. And of course, if nothing comes up, I'll just say, hmm, yeah, I don't know. I'll, let's just wait. Let's see what comes up between us. Um, no, no, no reason to rush. Uh, but often something fresh and creative and a mysterious a response. And then, then we're like playing ping pong uh, at the bottom of the ocean. You know, this ball comes across and I have no idea how to hit it but the arm just naturally goes and then we're, we're playing together. We're become co-explorers of the client's truth at a very deep level. And the, the, the teacher begins to dissolve, the student begins to dissolve and we are just expressions of the imaginative matrix um, supporting one another. I want to ask a kind of paradoxical question here and because, you know, the question is, so how do we start to do that? You know, and of course, you know, there's a contradiction in the question because if I try to do that, 
then it doesn't work, you know? So, um, so I guess like my question is how can we start to access that realm? And, you know, I get the overall idea is surrender or let go, but I guess I'm also like weaving into that. Like how do we access uh, our purpose through this imaginal too? You know, like how do we, how do we hone in on that? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. In the, in the, um, in the synthesis that I've created, I call it the purpose discovery process. I would say there's sort of like two wings of the bird, right? The whole, the whole animal that does this, you know, this journey. And, and one is resistance and the other is soul encounter. And the image I like to use quite often is that of an arrow, evolution's arrow. And on the one hand, we have homeostasis, right? Keeping us like grounded and, and, and consistent. And this is good. This is understandable. Our, our homeostatic mechanism uh, for temperature keeps us safe, right? What is it? 98.7, I think. And if you're a degree up or, or, or two, you know, that's not good. You're running a fever and, and a degree or two the other direction, you risk hypothermia. So homeostasis is a good thing mostly. <laughs> but when it comes to our evolution, um, eh, it can be, it, it's like the drag, right? So, so if the tip of the arrow, which we like to spend a lot of time with, right? Because it's the sort of sexy tip of our evolutionary leading edge, the soul encounter. If we don't pay attention to the feathers in the back, uh, if we, we just leave them untrimmed and all messy and just try to ignore them, we'll be a very poor arrow maker. The arrow will not hit its mark. So it's resistance to embodying our soul's purpose isn't like, um, isn't stuff that gets in the way of the work. It's the work itself. So I can say from part of me, I want to be fully soul awakened. That's authentic, but there's an and, (laughs) and there's a part of me that doesn't. Why? Well, uh, I don't know what would happen. What if I had this uh, just endlessly, you know, I think it just keeps going and going like soul awakening. Isn't like just a moment and then it ends. It's just like classical enlightenment. It would seem it just keeps going. So, so, why would I risk what I have? I feel pretty, pretty good in my soul's purpose. If I were to go to the next step, go out into the desert and do a vision quest, which I do from time to time, then I'm putting at risk the homeostasis of my current life. What if I come back and I discover I, uh, I don't want to be a purpose guide anymore? <gasps> I, I've spent all this time creating Purpose Guides Institute, 17 years, and so I kind of feel like I... I what if that's what what if it turns out i'm supposed to do something different what if it turns out this woman that i love for 21 years my my wife that i'm supposed to part company right what if my new understanding of my purpose brings with it some disapprobation from you know my community i'm supposed to go into da 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 da, da and they're all like kind of like thinking i'm crazy and they're not liking it and i get criticism So this is all the normal things of the ego, right? Like I have a sort of stable life here in my little town of Fairfax and things are going well. And in order to evolve to the next stage, Jonathan (laughs) 4.0, there's that risk. Will I be able to earn money? Will I be safe? Will I be loved? All of these things. These are all the things that people who come to see me to take this purpose discovery program, there's almost always this big question what's the risk because on the surface of it it sounds really delicious inhabiting the deep end of the pool of yourself but in reality there are elements let's call it the protector voices if you will that say whoa 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 uh you know will i have to leave my corporate job uh will i have to you know, da, 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 da. Well, I have to let go of friends who uh, aren't on that path. And there's no have to generally, 
But as we move into the deep end of the pool, we may find that naturally some of our community begins to fall away. The more that I go deeply into this, the more I find just naturally I want to hang out with what I would call soul-infused people. I want to be parts of communities that are interested in all that ice of the iceberg underneath the ocean. And, and it's not a, you know, a snooty thing like, oh, I don't want to just sit on the top of an iceberg chatting about da-da-da-da. It's just, it's just not authentic anymore. And so changes can happen. So um, on the one hand, we have resistance, homeostasis, keeping us rooted. And on the other hand, we have eros. We have, we have this evolutionary impulse drawing us to this greater fulfillment. Um, and these two are really powerful forces. And this is why it's been helpful for me to have mentors and guides to help, you know, with this, I'm pulled in two directions. I want everything to stay the same because in my case, it's fairly, I have a fairly good life. But on the other hand, I don't want to stop. I want to keep growing. But I, I'm nervous about that. Um, and, and so um, then the, we have this, you know, evolutionary impulse. And so how do we start to, you know, what, what's that? Like when you're guiding people, um, you know, we, you mentioned uh, technologies before, soul encounter technologies, like, and, um, you know, from my own experience, there's an element of like listening, being receptive. So how, how do you, yeah, what's that like when somebody is starting to go into those territories or how do you help them go into those territories where they can receive the, the clarity about this mythopoetic uh, image that you, you talked about? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's wonderful. There's, there's really endless sort of iterations or uh, creative expressions of, of soul encounter. Soul encounter is a, a, a term that I got from um, Bill Plotkin. And basically what it means is um, that you, you, everyday personality and ego, you, have a, uh, a conversation, a, a meeting, a... Um, a synonym of meeting, a, 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 an experience where you're popped out of um, your regular relationship to self, to time and space, and you are sort of stretched into uh, this imaginal dimension of you. And soul that tends, doesn't have to, but it tends to express itself not in a nice linear sort of, uh, you know, expression, but it can. Uh, it tends to express itself in images. I, I, when I was um, 20, 21, I was doing a meditation retreat in a little cabin in northern Ontario in Canada, and um, I was contemplating my life. And uh, an image came that I... I identify, I experience as a, a kind of a mythopoetic identity. And what it was is an image of um, a midwife, a whole person midwife. And I knew instantly that it didn't mean the classical uh, midwife, you know, catching babies, which would be a, a lovely thing, but I knew that wasn't me. And it was the image of not even being a teacher so much as an, a, a co uh, a co-journeyer on their experience of giving birth to their integral self, their whole self. And it was just set. I was just like, I recognized it as the image that defined who I was in the human community. Now, it doesn't say that on my business card because it just sounds woo-woo, California, new age, tofu and incense. But but for me, um, I know that wherever I am, that's my mission, is to midwife wholeness. That I, it doesn't matter what I'm hired to do. That's my primary job. Um, and so how do, we, how do we do that for the soul element? You know, how do we do that? So we want to uh, help people 
to uh, come out of the sort of linear or localized self-sense, right? We, we have this amazing capacity for discursive thought and then uh, awareness and discursive thought become, uh, would seem to be inseparable. Now they're not, but without a true investigation through meditation and so forth, we can actually begin to think we are the voice in our head. We're not not our voice in the head, but it's just a, 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 a fraction of who we are. So first, through resting in silence and stillness, allowing, if, if you have a meditation practice, Zen or Vipassana or, or Christian or whatever it may be, to the ability to kind of let yourself become quiet can begin to sort of soften the, the, the knot of, of self-sense. And another thing that I think is really helpful is being in wild nature. Um, it's just bar none. Like you get out of the house and the comfort of the house and the, the couch and all of that, and you're out in wild nature and you, you just, you feel, uh, you feel a part of everything. And if you just let yourself soften, you let, you let wild nature do its tidal work on you. Sit outside for a day, you know, or even four hours or even two hours. And then you can drop in a question right? What is the vision of my life? What is, what is the, my soul's core powers or values? What is my giveaway, the gift I'm meant to give? And then you're listening. You're, you're simply a space, a column of awareness, open and ready to receive uh, something that comes from a mysterious place. You could call it your gut. You could call it your intuition. You could call it your depths. You could call it your innermost. I call it soul. Um, and the next thing to do is when it comes, is not to poo-poo it. Like I could have just gone whole person midwife. What's that? And just moved on, <laughs> you know? Um, but I said, no, no, wait a minute. What's, what's this? Um, and then to let yourself soak in it. It's not just receiving it. It's like getting a... a a cup of tea with a tea bag in it. You want to let it steep. You want to stay with the image. James Hillman, the famous archetypal psychologist, kept, kept saying over and over again, when it comes with, to dreams, he said, we don't want to go the route of some psychologists, which is to interpret dreams. Because who's doing the interpretation? Ego. Now, if you have a very smart ego and you've read lots of <laughs> psychology, you could make a very lovely interpretation. Rather than me interpreting this image of a whole person midwife, rather I could become an apprentice to it. I could steep in it. I could let it perfume and inhabit and change me, rewire me. And so that's, that's the, the trick. So there's many ways of, of first getting the image. And in the courses that I do, I do these guided meditations. And they bring us to the... Uh, the threshold of a soul encounter. Listening to an MP3 is not a soul encounter, but listening to an MP3, if you're really allowing it to take you where it's inviting you, can bring you to that threshold. And then it's up to two things, your willingness to be taken and the willingness of soul to take you. And it's, you know, you just don't know on any particular one. So I have all these meditations, the animal guide meditation, the 10 years process, the entelechy meditation, the soul cave, but they're all sort of the same thing in a way, which is to deliteralize your, the experience of self-sense, to let it soften. And then with an image, right? An animal, a, a blue flame, uh, entelechy of you, you can let yourself um, begin to be magnetized into the shape of your destiny and, and to back and forth. So it's, I, I consider it like an apprenticeship. I'm an apprentice. The acorn of me is in apprenticeship to the oak of me, if you will. I, I think... Um... That's what I really like about this work. I, I like is an understatement. Um, uh, this sense of being taken again. Um, I, I, I've done like 
purpose work before, but it was very much in this kind of discerned purpose realm. And I was always a little, um, you know, I, I guess I'm being a bit unfair, but, you know, I end up with a purpose statement or something and that never worked for me, you know. And then, you know, sometimes it would be deeper than that. I would, I would get a kind of visceral sense of something. But with this work, uh, what I loved was like how, yeah, like you, you actually, it's like screw the statement in a way, although you can get that kind of clarity. It's like what, you, what I love was this sense of being taken. And, um, you know, that's what I've been looking for. Like in, in all the leadership development I've been doing, it's like, this is what I wanted. And um, so, so like, yeah, that sense of allowing these images to emerge, you know, to, to be receptive and allowing them to emerge and that they're not fully formed and, crystallized but they but you need to be in relationship to them and then they begin to you know there's a transformational alchemy here so to speak taking place as as that's ta- that's happening and um i certainly find that as i'm doing the guiding too you know it's like these these sort of symbols images senses coming come in and then it's just allowing them to be there and to begin to work on the person you know, like let them do their work on the person and then they start to feel that sense of being taken. Um, and it's like almost as if like all that effort they were trying to make to try and find themselves, it was like never going to get them where they thought they were going to go. And that this suddenly is the thing where they're like, oh, wow, yeah, it, was, it just didn't work in the way that I was led to believe it works. I wanted to offer that reflection. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I love that you use the word taken. You know, we, we actually want to be taken. And I would even sort of, you know, a little hyperbole and say, we, we actually want to be abducted from a straitjacket that's too tight. It may have worked, you know, for us uh, as a child, right? In our juvenile years, we want to just sort of learn cultural ways. So we adapt to our culture and to our parents, and to our schools, and to our society. Uh, and that's appropriate and natural till you're maybe 12. But sometime around teen, the teen years, uh, there's the potential, especially if you have uh, soul-rooted parents, which is probably very rare, but, but it can begin to peak up. Is this, this identity, this sense of, uh, I, I want to be abducted from my st- Jacket. I want to be released and liberated from a, an identity that's too small. We can feel like we're choking on it. Mm. It just doesn't end. You know, no sooner did I, did I graduate with a master's degree in psychotherapy and I earned $30,000. And then I thought, well, you know, it was fine. But I, if I had 10 more thousand, if I could earn 40, then, you know, I don't know, that it would be really good. And so I did. And then I was like, well, yeah, but if I could earn 50 <laughs> and then, you know, and then I got, and then I got pretty quickly. I said, Oh, this doesn't end <laughs> this. It's always another 10,000 or it's always another accolade or it's always another something. And it's a bottomless pit. Like you can never get enough of what you don't really need. I don't really need a ton of money. I'm not saying that I wouldn't like it, uh, that there aren't some advantages to it, but fame, money, success, it's, it's, it's a soul-shaped hole and you can't pour enough billions <laughs> and have enough, you know, st- starlets or whatever it is. You know, one of those, you see these commercials where it's a guy on a yacht and he's selling you something and he has 10 women in bikinis. And, uh, and I'm just like, it's not going to do it. And an interesting reflection somebody shared with me the other day was they said um, they thought one of the, uh, there was an influence, you know, I don't know when this was, but it, like when science moved into psychology and then you got cognitive science and behavioral science and um, they then, this idea of soul, which I think in Jung, you know, and, and others w- was there, was thrown out, you know, because it's like, it's not scientific, you can't you can't um, measure soul. So they created these developmental models. And I'm actually very fond of a lot of those developmental models. But if you look, actually none of them have soul in them because, you know, they weren't scientifically measuring soul. And I think that's an interesting reflection. And um, it's, it's a, it's a big hole in some of these theories. It's like missing, you know, 
Oh. Yeah, but it's there. It's really there. There are there are these developmental theorists like uh, Lovinger, Susan Kruckreuter, uh, Keegan, and yeah. uh, uh, we had uh, at, at my uh, center, uh, Purpose Guides Institute, we had this woman, Susan Kruckreuter, Harvard. You know, I mean, she does some of our programs. I'm a big oh. fan of. Um, she's oh, great. Yeah, and Keegan too. I mean, we've got a whole developmental coaching program. So. Um, Love their work, but you know Keegan does. Well, I, anyway, let you you say what you're going to say first. Yeah. Well, so she she uh, told this story when she came to our center that uh, they were they were they were sort of uh, creating these tests. They were using sentence stems, how one completes you know a sentence, and um, and they had maybe five different sort of categories, you know, development, like a Piaget kind of thing. And what they noticed was in a very small uh, part, it went off the chart, maybe 1%. I'm making that up. I can't remember the exact number. And it was, it was clear that they were, they were, uh, had integrated everything in the previous stages, but they were out ahead and they didn't have really names for this. So Human, humanity is evolving. Individuals evolve. The species evolves. And what we call mystical is, it's, it's normal. You know, we think, oh, it's mystical. It's, it's so da 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 it's, it's a human capacity. We live in a universe that is multidimensional. Yes, there's things we can do with microscopes and so forth. But even that, if you look like deep enough, it gets to me, it gets pretty mystical, but that it is a capacity of a human being. You don't have to be one of the great, you know, Ibn Arabi mystics or something. Just, just, it's a capacity. Well, just in your dream world, you don't usually fly in your, in your regular life unless you're in an airplane, but in, a, in the dream world, suddenly you have this subtle body that can do things that you can't do in the regular waking world. And I would submit that there is some truth to that here, even in this waking world, that you can have a kind of a bi-unity, if you will, where you're living in this regular space-time with all its laws, but at the same time, it's like you have subtle sight, like a second pair of eyes, mystical eyes. And so you're walking the ground, right, with mystical feet as, uh, what was her name? I just forgot her name. Anjali Zarian. So it's... It's good news. And I think, I think we intuit um, at some level, even people who are, uh, I'm a materialist, I'm not interested in spirituality, I'm not interested in soul, I'm, you know, that's fine. Um, but even they intuit like, yeah, this is a mysterious universe. Like, you know, just the Big Bang from so-called nothing to something. Big Bang number one. Big Bang, I mean, how does that happen? Beyond my pay grade, couldn't tell you. Second Big Bang, from something, uh, materiality, to life. How does that happen? Beyond my pay grade, couldn't tell you. Third Big Bang, you have life, you know, single-celled paramecium, and then all of a sudden you have conscious life, and then in the case of uh, humans, and perhaps some other animals, but certainly humans, self-aware capacity. Oh my goodness. And what makes us think that it's going to end here? that this is the furthest we can get as a species or it's the furthest life can get as an expression of its deep intelligence. So you can call it mysticism or spirituality or just mind or just intelligence. And what you are is mostly unused potential. Hmm. Mostly that. Mostly that. And there was a movie uh, called Lucy, which came out a couple of years ago, which um, I think that, you know, that idea is something that grabs hold of popular culture. You know, when she, she took some kind of manufactured drug, you know, in this movie that, that unlocks the full potential of her mind. And that's what the whole movie's about. So she, she moves from like 5% up to 10 to 20 and 30. And then, you know, and then, you know, it gets pretty wacky once she gets up to a hundred, she like disappears into the, imagine a matrix maybe but so you know i think um i think that's that's an idea that maybe unconsciously you know um people people are like uh, grab you know grabs a hold of them like the, that we can unlock our potential um hey i want to maybe this is a good time to begin to bring things to a close um, um anything you want to 
like a st- anything you want to leave us as a closing statement D- don't have to um maybe it's there um if you don't feel called it's okay <laughs> it's not a you know it's it's follow your own truth right there's no teacher on this series or a book on on these shelves that knows you know the way that you should go on the other hand if you feel the calling right to to swim into the deep end of the pool that is you um then listen to it it will take courage um, because it's new territory and it can get dark, right? But it's a luminous darkness. It's called the illuminated darkness in the literature, right? And the Imagina Matrix is stunningly beautiful. If you think this world is beautiful, know this. It is an analog to a world with even more depth, light, intelligence, and creativity. So if you are called follow it. It's a perfume. Follow it to books, follow it to teachers, but most of all, go out into wild nature and, and listen, you know, drop in a question. It's that simple. Having a guide can be really important, but it comes down to this. Go out into, onto the land and ask a really hard, poignant, deep question. What am I called to next? What is my mythopoetic identity? And listen, don't do it just once. Do it two times, three times, 10 times, 100 times. And it will reveal itself. Your interest, your passion, your lament, your cry, your ache to live from your wholeness will do some of the work for you. It's like your prayer itself is the answer. So uh, that would be a... Hmm. Uh, an offering pretty amazing answer yeah nice <laughs> nice closing statement and just tell us in, um, very quickly like where can we can find out more about your work yeah it's a purpose guides institute um so just type that in or you can type jonathan gustin um and uh, every september we have a, a a group of people i always say um that that Real purpose discovery tends to be a community experience because it really helps to have people who are on the path with you, uh, to have soul-rooted community. So every September, we start again. And then uh, for those who feel called to, um, they can become purpose guides and do the work that I do and, and you do. And, uh, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And we have amazing guest teachers um, I'm very, very pleased Parker Palmer and Adyashanti and Joanna Macy and Michael Mead and Thomas Moore. And uh, anyway, it goes on and on. We're really lucky. Beautiful. Thanks very much for, uh, for today, for sharing yourself so generously. Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks for having me. <laughs>